came in like a missile, like a fireball missile across from the New York Harbor side, I guess from the north direction. It came in like a spear, just speared through the building like a fireball. I've never seen war up close, but today I have. It's just this sound, this rumble. This mass cloud coming at us. It's intense. Good evening once again, everyone. Good evening. Um, as we come back this evening to pick back up with the study um, from where we left off yesterday, um, by the grace of God, we're just going to go get right into it. Um, as we left off, going to the book of Daniel, showing the gospel in Daniel. So this is where we will pick up. And for those who, were, who may be seeing this for the first time, we ask that you watch the previous presentations um, beginning um, a couple days ago um, with um, showing the scriptures that is the inspired word of God and, and, to, and how to have faith in the word of God. And now we're going to continue the, the study upon where the Lord wants his people to have faith, the strongest place for God's people to have faith. And last night we learned that faith is evidence and, it, and, and it's also something to hope for. And the Lord gives us evidence for, for something to hope for. And the thing that everyone hopes for is life because everyone is, everyone is living a life where we're just, just conditioned to die. But the death that the Lord wants to save us from is from, that de is from the death from which there is no resurrection. There's no, hope of a, there's no hope of life, of eternal life. So the Lord is, wants to give us the best evidence that there is hope for life and that hope is found in Christ. So this is where we want to pick up um, this evening by going into the book of Daniel and 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 getting some of gathering some of these evidence to, to 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 place a rock underneath our feet. But before we do, let us open up with a silent word of prayer. Amen. I believe everyone has a note. Um, for those who have it, we're beginning on page 10. For those who don't have it, I believe it's possibly in the description um, for the video. So we're at the top of page 10, and we're just going right into it. Last night we left off by showing where Jesus says, The time is fulfilled. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And um, in, John 8, in John 8, we also left off verse 24. Where Jesus says, um, um, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. And we left off by showing that Christ says the time is fulfilled. So there's a knowledge of some prophetic time that's in the scriptures that, that Christ calls the gospel. 
And last night we showed that there was no New Testament when Jesus said these words. There was no New Testament when, when he had the 12 disciples. There was no New Testament when Paul was called. All the disciples, Christ, John, Christ, the disciples, all based their faith and they all based their hope based upon the Old Testament. They all got their power, their light, their understanding, their knowledge from the Old Testament, which is the gospel. And this is what we're going to look into. And we went over last night showing that in, in regards to time. The whole Old Testament is the gospel. But it's the gospel in types, it's the gospel in figures, it's the gospel in symbols. Um, the Lord showed ancient Israel, he, they, they, they dwelled in Jerusalem. They were only a symbol to represent uh, modern, modern Israel who's going to dwell in New Jerusalem in heaven. And then you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all symbols of Christ, of what Christ was going to do when he came upon the earth. This was the evidence that the disciples and the Christians had to build their faith upon, was that the natural stories was teaching them something spiritual or teaching them something that was going to happen thereafter. They were going to, the things that were going to happen after were going to be fulfilled in character. Now, if we have some time, we're going to take a look at that thought a little later on. We just set in the stage for it. So we went in showing the Old Testament is the gospel, but in relation to the gospel, Christ was pointing to a time, a time that identified when he was going to begin his work. The, the time gave the, the, the time and place of when Christ was to begin his work of, of taking away the sins of the world or, or saving us from our sins. And this is where we left off in Daniel. And we went through showing that in the Old Testament, um, if in the Old Testament, if we go from Malachi to Hosea, we didn't find any time speaking about when Christ was going to begin his work. And if we go from Genesis to Ezekiel, we didn't find any time illustrating to us when Christ was going to do his work. And then we came into the book of Daniel. And, and we're going to now look at Daniel that it's in the book of Daniel where, where Christ is preaching about the time when he says the time is fulfilled. He was speaking about the book of Daniel. So the book of Daniel is a prophecy. And, but in that, in that book, in that prophecy, in that history, in that record, there's, a, there's, there's something in relation to time that God's people, that every Christian is supposed to understand because Christ says, repent ye and believe the gospel. And, and so to, to believe the gospel, one must repent. And to repent means to turn about, to go another way. But when you go into the book of Daniel, from chapters 1 to 7, you find nothing in those chapters in relation to time in regards to what we're talking about. Nowhere in the book of Daniel, from, we're going to see a pattern here as we go on through this. Nowhere in the book of Daniel do we see anything in relation to time from chapters 1 all the way down to chapter 7. But when we go into chapter 8, if we're, if, we're, if we're testing this thing, as soon as we go into chapter 8, we find something in regards to time. From chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12, it's all dealing with time. Once you, go, once you get to this portion of the book of Daniel, you're going to see a prophecy in Daniel 8 about time, a prophecy in Daniel 9 about time, a prophecy in 10 about time. Daniel said, I understood the time, but the time was long. And then a prophecy in 11 where it says, um, even for a time, it starts talking about time and that this is for an appointed time and at the time of the end. And then you go into chapter 12, you have more prophecies about time, 1290, 1335. So from this portion of the book, from 8 down to 12, it's all dealing with time. But in one of those times, there's one dealing with, specifically dealing with Christ when he was going to begin his work as, as Savior of mankind. And that's the one that our Heavenly Father wants people to understand because understanding that one, that's the one that's going to help to take away our sins um, as, we go on, as we go on or, or put us in a better position to have our sins taken away. So let us turn to, to Daniel chapter 8. Um, turn to Daniel chapter 8. Now we're not going to go through 
the whole chapter of Daniel 8. We're just going to highlight some points. And th for those who are watching this and is interested to, um, to go into some of these things, we have plenty of videos where we talk about things going into Daniel 8. And if anyone's interested in getting anything on, on Daniel 8, please send us a message, send us an email, um, any way in which you can contact us um, where we can point you in the right direction or we can have a private Bible study ourselves or we can give you some, um, some things that will help to get you the information needed to help you to understand Daniel chapter 8. But for time's sake, we're just going to go right to the point in Daniel chapter 8. When you go through Daniel 8 from 1 all the way down to ver Daniel 8 verse 1 down to verse 12, Daniel is given a vision. And I want us to see a theme now in the book of Daniel. The Lord wants us to see this, this theme. In Daniel, from 1 down to 12, you have Daniel being given the activities of the earthly kingdoms. This is what you see. Matter of fact, I'll just go over it. I'll just teach it from here. In Daniel chapter 2, you have Daniel given a vision of all the earthly kingdoms all the way down to the feet. But when you get to the feet, Daniel gets another vision in dealing with a stone cut out without hand. This is completely separate from the one that's here because it's not on earth. This one's in heaven. So Daniel has two visions right away. He has one dealing with earthly elements, and then he has one dealing with a heavenly element. So already what you see is earth versus heaven. This is what Daniel is showing you. It's earth versus heaven. The kingdoms of this earth is at war with the kingdom of God. And if you go, just jump over to Daniel chapter 7, it's the same theme. You have four beasts coming up out of the sea, dealing with the kingdoms of the earth again, from 1 all the way down to verse 9 in Daniel chapter 7. And as soon as you get to 9, the scene changes. A different vision. Daniel is shown the, um, the Ancient of Days um, going into, to, and the judgment is set and the books is open. Daniel is given a vision of the judgment. So once again, you have earth and heaven all over again. So from 2 to 7, earth, heaven. When you come to chapter 8, if you see it once and you see it twice, then what should we expect? The same thing. It's not going to change. So when you come to chapter 8, it begins with a, a two-horned ram. And then it goes into a, a, a he-goat. And then it goes into the horn. Now the body of these nations is going away, and now it's focusing on the horns. And the reason why it's now going to focus on the horn is because it's now coming to Rome. In each case, whenever it comes to Rome, Rome is always an unnatural power. It's always an unnatural system. It, it, it's just a terrible power that the Lord don't use. When you get into seven, there's nothing on earth to represent it. When you get into eight, there's no, there's no body given to this power. It's just simply a horn. It's not a natural power. It's, a, it's, a, it's, just, it's, it's a real evil power, the, Rome, the Roman government. But when you come into eight, once again, there's an earthly, there's an earthly theme going on. It's, it's all earthly until you get to about verse 13. When you get to verse 13, it changes. Once again, just like in two, it changed to the stone. And just like in seven, it changed to the scene in heaven. And just like in eight, it did the same thing. And when you go to chapter 11, you see the same theme. Daniel, once again, is given an illustration of the earthly kingdom. But in chapter 11, it's showing now the kings, the kings of this earth. But it's not dealing with merely individuals. It's dealing with the powers of these nations warring against each other, the north versus the south. And they war all the way down to verse 40. And then it says at the time of the end, the king of the south is going to push at him and the king of the north is going to come back against him. And they war all the way down until Michael stands up. And once again, another heavenly scene. Michael stands up. So from 2, 7, 8, and 11, what you see is earth, heaven, earth, heaven, earth, heaven, earth, heaven. That's what you see. The Lord wants you to see that. Earth, 
heaven, earth, heaven, earth, heaven, earth, heaven. He wants us to see that because the natural is going to teach us the what? The spiritual. And if we don't see the earthly, we won't see the heavenly. And if we don't see the heavenly, it's because we don't see the earthly. It's the same thing. So the 2300 days is a heavenly teaching. It's a heavenly-minded teaching. It's designed to take our minds away from earth and bring it to heaven. This is the purpose of the 2300 days. In order to have our sins taken away, our minds must go up to heaven, the place where God dwells, so that our sins can be removed from us. This is the purpose of the book of Daniel, to take away our sins, but our minds must go up to heaven. So there's no way anyone can miss this if they read this in chronological fashion. You can't miss it. Earth, heaven. Why does it keep changing? Earth, because by the time you get down to heaven, that's where your mind should be. By the time you get down to the scene of heaven, your mind should already go up, be going up to heaven. Because that's where Daniel's minds went, and that's where our minds should go. So let us continue. So we're not going to go through chapter 8. In that sense, we're just going to discuss some of these things. So, Amen. He has to take you to heaven by the time you get to the fourth. Because if your mind don't go up to heaven, the fourth kingdom is going to do what? Swallow you up. It's going to swallow you up if your mind. Amen. Once Rome come on the scene, your mind needs to be in heaven. Amen. Don't let your mind be on earth when Rome comes up. Now, I'm not going to touch because this is an important thought to have. Um, and later on as we go on. Not here, but we have videos online that deals with the power of Rome, which we need to understand. So going back to Daniel chapter 8. In Daniel 8, we're just going to look at verse 13, the second part. So there's two parts in Daniel, earth and then heaven. Earth is the first part, heaven is the second part. Earth is the first part in seven, heaven is the second part. Earth is the first part in eight, heaven is the second part. Earth is the first part in eleven, heaven is the second part. This is, this is the theme of Daniel all the way through, earth and heaven, that's the theme. So we're going to look at the heavenly part. This is the, the part we're going to look at, and it's dealing with the 2300 days. And the 2300 days is dealing, it's, it's all about the work of Christ. When Christ was going to begin a specific work for the salvation of men. The 2300 days is all about when Christ was to start his work and the manner in which he was to start his work. But the other portions of scriptures gives us the description of how he does his work when he starts his work. So the gospel's in two parts, when Christ starts his work and the manner in which Christ works when he starts the work. That's the gospel. Prophecy and time. Time prophecy and, and prophecy itself. Um, how should you put types and prophecy? That's how it goes, types and prophecies. So let's look at Daniel 8. Let's read Daniel 8. Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint, here it is, how long? Already, this is time. How long shall be the vision concerning the daily and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? And he said unto me, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. So whatever this is about, it's about saints cleansing the sanctuary. This has nothing to do with earthly powers. This is heavenly powers saying, I'm going to allow these powers, these earthly powers, to trot on the foot, the sanctuary on the host. I'm going to allow them to do it for, for 2,300 days, and then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Now, if we're intelligent, and I, I pray that we are, and we're reading this, is Rome still here? Yeah, Rome is still here. The Vatican is the Roman M. It's still here. Rome's still here. So this is not talking about removing the earthly kingdoms. That's not what it's talking about. 
It says, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. It's not talking about removing the earthly kingdoms because Rome goes all the way to the second coming. So whatever this cleansing is, cleansing is, it has something to do with Christ and his people. That's what I want. It has something to do with Christ and his people and giving them information that these powers rob them of. This is the robbers of God's people. These powers have robbed God of his people. They've stolen his people. How did he do it? By force and false teaching. That's how these powers do it. By, that's why they're beasts. They use force and false teaching. Daniel 2 shows that they use the elements of this world. Satan uses riches to rob God of his people. This is what Daniel 2 is showing us. Daniel 7 is showing us that Satan uses force and cruelty to rob God of his people, military power. Daniel 8 is showing us he uses religion. Because when you go to Daniel 8, it's dealing with sanctuary beasts. That's why it says, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. It's dealing with religion. He uses riches to rob God of people of his power. He uses force to rob, God's to rob God of his people. And he uses religion to steal away God's people. So the image, the stone in Daniel 2 teaches how God is going to destroy wealth in this world. And this one teaches how God is going to overthrow these kingdoms by his force and power. And Daniel 8 is showing us how Christ is going to overthrow the religious systems of these powers. And when you go into chapter 11, it's teaching you another feature, another aspect of how Christ is going to overthrow these systems. Daniel 11 is all about politics. This is what it's about. And when it comes down to Christ, Christ is going to overthrow these kingdoms by his policies. They were fighting against God's people by their policies, and now Christ is going to fight against them by his policies in chapter 11. But these are all different thoughts for, for future time. But the one aspect we want to look at now is Daniel chapter 8. So when you go to 8, just jump down with me to verse 15. Verse 15, we're going to read this one. It says, And it came to pass, when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meaning, then behold, there stood before me as the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, which called and says, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. Now, I don't have time to go into this. There's two visions, as I said, two visions in the book of Daniel. One is the earthly powers, one is the heavenly power. One is the earthly power, one is the heavenly power. One is the earthly power, one is the heavenly power. Though, what, which one do we think Christ is going to say make Daniel understand? The heavenly. So when Christ says, Gabriel, make this man understand what's going to happen in heaven. Make him understand what's going to happen in heaven. Daniel was already on earth. He understood the systems of the earth. He understood the, 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 the financial system of Daniel 2. He understood the military system of Daniel 7. He understood the religious elements of Daniel chapter 8. He understood it. So Gabriel said to him, now that Daniel understood Daniel 2, he understood 7, and he understood 8, Gabriel, take his mind up to heaven. It, it, say it again. The religion, the, the, the finance, and all that was in Babylon. All it was in so Babylon. Amen. So because he now had an understanding of it, Gabriel, make this man to understand this vision. Make him, make him now understand this aspect of the vision. And this is what we're going. So what does that mean for us? We have to understand it. We have to understand it. So let's go back to, to so Gabriel. I'm not going to read the whole, from 15 onwards, um, Christ says, Gabriel, make Daniel understand. Gabriel goes into verse 20, and he begins here. I just want to read this one. I love this part of Gabriel's explanation. Just go to verse 20 with me. So Gabriel finally gets down to explaining the vision, beginning with the Medes and the Persians. He says, 
the ram which thou sawest, having two horns, are the kings of Media and Persia. When you go to chapter 2, it doesn't tell you who the second nation is. When you go to 7, it doesn't tell you who the second nation is. By the time the student of prophecy comes here, he's now prepared to receive the names of who these players are. By the time you reach here, God can now tell you who the players are that's warring against his people. And, he, and Gabriel says, Daniel is the Medes and the Persians. And he says, after the Medes and the Persians, let's see what, I love this one. The, the third kingdom is just as important as the fourth kingdom. And because the third, the fourth, the third and the fourth, this is where this transition always takes place between the third and the fourth. But these are not our thoughts right now. I just want to bring this in. Greece ruling the world was such an impossibility. That's why I believe this one is in the Bible. This part is in the Bible because for Greece to rule the world universally, it was impossible. There's not a historian on this planet that doesn't understand that Greece was a divided element. You had Sparta, you had Athens, you had, oh, what was another one? Corinth. Cor Corinth. There's, there's a bunch more. There's Macedonia. Macedonia. And there's, there's famous ones. I can't remember all of them. Sparta, Athens, Macedonia, Corinth. I'm missing one. I think I'm missing one. But it's okay. But the point is, everyone in history knows that Greece was divided. It was an impossible. The only thing Greece had in common, guess what it was? Religion. Their religious and their intellectual belief because the Greeks love wisdom. Yeah. It was their wisdom that united them. So Mas um, Philip of Macedon took advantage of this and he began to unite all of Greece. As soon as he thought that he got the Grecian Empire, he was assassinated. And his young son, Alexander, was the first universal ruler of Greece. Hence why the Bible says this in verse 21. Let's look at, and the rough goat is the king of Grecia, and the great horn that is, that, that is between his eyes is the first king. People used to say Alexander wasn't the first king. Philip was the king before Alexander. How, why does the Bible say he was? They don't understand. When you go to chapter 2, notice when you get to the third kingdom, notice what the Bible says. And the third kingdom shall bear rule over all the world. Why does it put that in there? Because if anyone understands history, it was next to an impossibility for Greece to rule the world as one power. It was impossible. But God says the first king, Greece, is going to universally rule the world with their first king. And, they, and it says the great horn. And what does history call them? Alexander the Great. This was the first. This is why I love this portion of Daniel chapter 8. I wish we had time to go into Greece. The Grecian kingdom is a very important kingdom because the Bible took um, the language now of the New Testament was written in that language. <laughs> and all of this is in there for a reason. But let's go on. So when you go down to chapter 26 of this, of this book, so Gabriel explains these powers. And then he comes to 26, and he says in 26, And the vision of the evening and the morning which was told is true. Wherefore, shut thou up the vision, for it shall be for many days. And I, Daniel, fainted, and was six certain days. And afterward I rose up and did the king's business. And I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. Now, he can't be talking about the earthly one. He can't be, because he just explained it to him. He just explained, said, it's the Medes and the Persians. Amen. It's Grisha, and the rough, and this, this, fierce, this king of fierce countenance, this is Rome. But Daniel, but Gabriel now comes down to the point of explaining the time. 
And because Daniel was a Daniel was a Jew, he was a student of prophecy. He knew that he knew that 2,200 days meant 2,200 years. So, but Daniel couldn't understand this. He, we're going to be in captivity for a long time. So Daniel fainted, and and the scripture says none understood it. So the very next chapter picks up where chapter eight left off. So let's go to chapter nine, and we're not going to read through chapter nine. We just want to highlight this this nice little portion. So Daniel comes to chapter nine. And he begins to pray. He begins to fast and to pray for the answer. And just jump down with me to, um, to verse 21. So the same man, Gabriel, who, was, who, who Christ told to explain it to Daniel, comes back to him in chapter 9 to explain to him because Gabriel was given a command. Make this man to understand the vision. And Gabriel did not fulfill his command, so he came back at a later time when Daniel was well enough to receive the revelation. In this, we learn a lesson. God is tender with us. If we're sick and we're not healthy, God is willing to wait until we get better to explain something to us. The Lord is very tender and patient. He will not force himself like these nations do upon us. These nations force themselves, whether you're sick or healthy. And how do I know that? When COVID came, whether we, we were sick or healthy, what did this nation do? Try to force itself upon us. And everybody around the world had some element of being of 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 their of the nation's religious view in regards to our health. As Sister Val was going over, trying to tell us when to walk and when not to walk. I have my own mind. I know when I'm capable of walking and when I'm not capable of walking. Why do I need you to force me to walk or not to walk? I don't need you to do that. But the kingdom of God is tender. Gabriel was willing to leave Daniel for a time until he was prepared to receive the revelation. That's the kind of God we serve. When we're ready to receive something, he'll come and tenderly give it to us again. He doesn't forget. That's the kind. He never forgets. And because he never forgets, the spirit we should have is what? One, One that never forgets. Because if we forget, we're destined to repeat the very thing in which we forgot. We're going to repeat it again. And unfortunately, this nation is sick with spiritual diabetes, and they're going to need another insulin shot like 9-11. The Lord gave them an insulin shot at 9-11 to get them to do the right thing. But they forgot, so they need another insulin shot. And they need another powerful insulin shot to turn them back in the right direction again. And that's, this is why we're here in New York, to, 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 to arouse New Yorkers to the fact that God is about to give them another insulin shot for their sick, for their sick and state with diabetes, spiritual diabetes. But unfortunately, many of them don't know that it's for, their, it's for their healing, not for their destruction, because God is a healer, not a destroyer. So let us go on. In verse 20, 21, Gabriel says, Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and, 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 and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I am now come. Sorry, one second. Okay, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter. This is, what, this is the part that I just want. Those who get this vision or, under, or, or, or are permitted to understand it are those who are greatly beloved. Amen. If we're not greatly beloved, we will not get this understanding. So you know what this means to me? The fact that we're understanding it, it means heaven regards us as greatly beloved. But wait a minute. 
What does it mean to be greatly beloved so that I can get an understanding of the vision? Let's go see what Jesus said about being greatly beloved. Because whatever Christ says makes us greatly beloved, this is exactly what Daniel was doing, hence why he got the revelation. So this is what we were doing by the grace of God, why we got the revelation. So let's look at Matthew chapter 5. Think not. Think not. Do not think. That's immediately. This is what Christ is saying. Think not. Is this is because is Christ saying this because he knew people was going to think that? Yes, that's why he's saying it. He knew people was going to think this. So Christ says, think not. In other words, remember this. Remember this. Don't forget this. Remember this. Think not that I am come to destroy the law. Who's coming to destroy the law? The destroyers. These are the destroyers of God's law. So when you get to the second vision, Christ says, think not that I'm coming to do this. I'm coming to restore what they destroyed. I'm coming to cleanse what they destroyed. This is what I'm coming to do. They come to destroy, I come to cleanse. This is what Christ is saying in these verses. So let us continue. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the what? The least in the kingdom of heaven, but... Whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called what? Greatly beloved. So what was Daniel doing? Doing and teaching. Notice what Christ does here. Everything Christ does is important. Christ put doing before teaching. Before we teach, we better make sure we do. This is what Christ is saying. If you want to be greatly beloved in heaven, do, then teach. Not teach and, and do or teach. and No, do what you've just learned, and then go teach. That's how Christ's order works. Do it, and then go teach it. If you're teaching it and you're not doing it, you're not greatly beloved. You're a hypocrite. Christ says do, and then teach. Not teach, and then give an appearance that you're doing. No, he says do and teach. So when you just take this principle back to Daniel 9, that's how Daniel lived his life. He did, and then he taught. And guess what Daniel is still doing right now? Teaching, because God recorded what Daniel did and taught. So his life in chapter 8 and 9 is, 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 is guiding you and I at the end of the world. That if we want to understand this vision, we have to do and teach what he did and teach in order to understand this vision. God's going to give the same answer he gave to his servant Daniel, to us at the end of the world. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So now let's go back to Daniel 9. So Gabriel now begins to explain it. And verse 9, and later on, my brother's going to pick up this point with the time. I'm not going to go into the breakdown of the time. I'm going, I'm going to go into some of the features of the time to go back to, to, to what Christ says. Repent ye and believe. The time is fulfilled. Repent ye and believe the gospel. This is the feature I want to focus on. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, it says, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. And that word determined, it means cut off. Seventy weeks are cut off upon thy people. So for it to be cut off, it needs to be cut off of something. And when you go back to chapter 8, it was 2300 days. And Gabriel says, Daniel cut off 70 weeks from those 2300 days. And 70 weeks is 490, 70 times 7 is 490 years, so, or 490 days. So Gabriel says, cut off 490 days from the 2300 days. And this is what, this is what he was teaching um, Daniel. And in this cutting off portion, Christ, now Gabriel is going to reveal to him the Messiah in this cutting off portion. And this is the part we want to deal with, the Messiah. So let's look at what Gabriel says. 
70 weeks, and I'm just going to take out the portions of this prop from 24, from verse 24 to verse 27. I'm just going to extract the portions dealing with the Messiah. That's, that's what I'm going to do. There's a lot said in this prophecy. And if anyone wants to follow, I encourage those who are watching now and those who will watch later, please, by the grace of God, if you want to understand this, we have many videos on our YouTube channel. We have a playlist called, I believe, The 23rd Days. Is that right? Yes. yes, we have one called The 23rd Days where we, we, we spend a lot of time dealing with The 23rd Days and this, this portion of this prophecy. So I want to encourage us to, to like, to subscribe to the channel. And if you're being blessed by this ministry, please share this information with others because this is all a part of the doing and the teaching. This is all a part of doing and teaching so that we will be greatly beloved by bearing witness to the gospel that's to take away men's sin. So let, go ahead. Yes, and also please support the, the, the cause of God. We really want to encourage that, that you support the cause of God because doing this work here in New York is very, if anyone knows anything about New York City, is extremely expensive. And we are here by the grace of God in the one of the most expensive cities in all of New York trying to do the Lord's work by His mercy. So I want to encourage those who are watching, please support the Lord's cause. If you're being blessed by this ministry, please support us with tithes and offering because we would love not only to take this to New York, we have a desire to take this to Boston, to Atlanta, to, to Memphis, to Philadelphia, to, 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 to every city, but most specifically these great cities right here in the East Coast. So we want to encourage us, if you're being blessed by this and you would like to advance the Lord's cause, please support the Lord's cause with tithes and, and offering if this ministry is blessing. If you're being fed the bread from heaven, please support the place where, where you're being fed. Let us continue. It says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. So a time is given to when the Messiah is to appear. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. Now all I did with this prophecy was took out that aspect dealing with the Messiah. That's all I did. I took out the portion of this time prophecy that's dealing with the Messiah. And one of the portion is that, um, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, so there's a commandment in the Bible that deals with restoring and building Jerusalem, a, a prophecy is going to go forth, a specific time is going to be given that when that commandment go forth, for 62 weeks, it's going to go down to the Messiah. The Messiah is to appear at the conclusion of this time prophecy. He's to come on the scene. So what does Messiah mean? What does Messiah mean? Now, when you go, when you, if you were to do a proof text on the word Messiah, you're only going to find it in two books. And I believe God did this on purpose for a reason. He did it on purpose. One, to give a second witness for the word Messiah. So he gives you the book of Daniel, and then he gives you the book of John. And why do we think the Lord did that? Because John wrote the Revelation. So John revealed who the Messiah is. So the book of Revelation is, is one who reveals who the Messiah is. That's prophesied by Daniel. Daniel and John go together. These two books go together. And the Lord made sure that they were in the two books of the people who deals with the revelation of who the Messiah is. Daniel and John. And in John chapter 1, let's read it. John chapter 1, verse 41. It says, We have found the Messiahs which is being interpreted the Christ. So the Bible interprets Messiah for us. It means Christ. Amen. So Daniel says, unto Christ, 
the prince. So Messiah, you know there's a false teaching by the Protestants that the Messiah is the Antichrist. I, I challenge anybody to Google the teachings of Daniel 9, and you're going to see come up that Daniel 9 is the Antichrist. But the Bible says it's Christ. The Bible says it's Christ. There's only two places you find this word Messiah, Daniel and John. And John interprets what Messiah means. It means Christ. But I want to take it even a little deeper than this. I, I, I challenge anybody, Google the teaching of Daniel 9 for yourself, and you'll see that the Protestant, the Sunday churches, teaches that Daniel 9 is the Antichrist. That's a terrible teaching. They're doing the same thing the Jews did, calling Jesus Beelzebub. The Lord, of, the Lord of the flies. That's what they're doing. But the Bible says it's Christ. Let's go on. Let's go on. It says, so Messiah means Christ, and Christ means anointed. Anointed one or chosen one. Jesus Christ means anointed Savior. Jesus means Savior, and anointed means Christ. So Christ is the anointed. Christ means anointed. So Jesus Christ means anointed Savior. This is the, this is the one that God has anointed to take away our sins. Hence why Satan wants people to call him the Antichrist, that he doesn't have the power to take away your sins. That's why Satan wants people calling him anti. I'm challenge you. Google it, and you'll find out for, your, for yourself who teaches it. So the New Testament is the revelation or revealing of the Old Testament, and it just revealed to us that the Messiah of Daniel 9 is Christ. But let's get this from Jesus' mouth himself, because the Bible says we have found the Messiah. But let's see what Christ says about the name Messiah himself in John 4. The woman saith unto him, I know. What did she say? I know. I know. So do we have to know? Yes, we have to know too. She says, uh, so how did she know? Daniel 9. Prophecy. Daniel 9 is how she knew. She said, I know that Messiah's cometh, which is called Christ. When he, this is very important. Notice what the Bible Messiah means Christ, which is called Christ. So when you read Daniel 9 and you see Messiah, it's called, he's called Christ. So when you go to the New Testament, this, the New Testament is revealing that the one spoken of in Daniel 9, this is the Christ. And, and say it again. Amen. The one Praise God. The one spoken of in the gospel. So notice what she said. When he is come... He will tell us all things. And here, I love this part. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee, what? Am he. Notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, I am he. If he said that, who would he be talking to? His divine nature. What did he say? I'm he. What is he saying? The human nature. How many natures does Christ have? Two. The I am he dies. Because the Messiah is to be what? Cut off. He's to die. Christ is telling her, I'm the one that's going to die for your sins. I'm he. This is me. And why is this important? Let's go on. The Bible says we've found the Messiah. So go on. When we understand this time prophecy, the 2300 days, or evenings and mornings, according to what Gabriel says, the only one in all the Bible concerning the Messiah or Christ he will say personally to you and I, am he. That's why we have to study this prophecy. So that we can hear Christ saying to you and I, am he. The same way he revealed himself to the, to, to the woman at the well, Christ wants to reveal himself to us when we study the prophecies. She was talking to the living word of God. 
But we have our Bibles today, which is the living word of God. So when we, when we, like her, converse with our Bible, we will have the answer come back to us, I am he. What does that mean? We will have the answer come back to us. Is the Bible going to talk to us? Absolutely, yes, the Bible does speak to us. It's called the living word of God. It's supposed to speak to us. How does it speak to us? To our reason and our conscience. The Bible says, come and let us reason together. The word of God speaks to our reason. That's what it does. It appeals to reason, not to feelings. It appeals to our reason. And we want to hear Christ saying, I am he. What is this? Why is this important? The predicted time of when the Messiah was to come is how they found Christ. That was found. That word found also means to perceive. So when they say we found the Messiah, they perceive the Messiah. We're not, only, we're not only to recognize the event that fulfilled prophecy, we're to perceive the meaning of the event that fulfilled the prophecy. There's a spiritual lesson that's in the fulfillment of prophecy that we need to perceive that lets us know that this is the event that Christ has fulfilled for me so that I can understand how my sins is going to be taken away. This is the event. This is the event. Let's continue. To find the Messiah means to understand the time or history that points out the Messiah. Those who don't understand the time prophecy never truly found or perceived Christ their Savior. This is, this, is, this, is, this is awful. There's a lot of people in this world, just like the Jews, just like the Jews didn't find Christ. There's many Christians who say they have Christ and never found him. There's many, the Jews had God, but couldn't see God in Christ. So Christians have the Bible and can't see Christ in the prophecy. They can't perceive him, but yet they want their sins taken away. But you're going to get the same thing the Jews got. Your house, like Val is going over, going over, is left onto you vandalized. It's left in a vandalized condition. And it's not going to have its sin taken away. And it's only destined to be destroyed. We have to find Christ. And he's found in the prophecies. That's where he's found. He's found by us perceiving these prophecies. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. To find the Messiah is to understand the, the predicted time or history of when the Savior was to come and fulfill the work of taking away our desire to sin. That's how Christ takes away sin, by taking away the desire to sin. I want us to see to get this point. This point is very important. When we study this gospel, God begins to take away our desire to sin. That's the reason for studying the gospel. As soon as we sit down like Daniel to study it, our desire for sin will be taken away. It's the, it's the studying of the gospel that takes away sin. Not, not sin, uh, no, the desire to even commit the sin. That's what the gospel is designed to do. To take away the desire, the lust to even want to do it. That's what the gospel does. So if we're not studying the right gospel, this is why you're still sinning and repenting. Sinning and repenting. Sinning and repenting. Because you're not studying the knowledge that God has given to take away the knowledge of evil. Remember, they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So man needs a knowledge to take away the knowledge of good and evil. They need a higher knowledge. Earth, heaven. Earth, 
heaven, earth, heaven. The understanding of heavenly things takes away the knowledge of good and evil that these earthly powers has infected people with and given them spiritual diabetes. Loading them up with the poison of sugar. Heaven's gospel does not teach us to indulge in sweet things because that's what Daniel 1 shows us. If we want to be free from diabetes, we need to eat the, the food that Daniel ate. And we won't have to worry about diabetes. And also walk in the light. Amen? That's what the scripture says. So it says, when we study the gospel, God begins to take away our desire to sin. The Bible teaches us that the way God takes away sin is knowing and doing. If both is not done together, he cannot take away our sin. This is why it's important to understand this prophecy or gospel. And I love this part. The law points out sin and tells us to stop, to stop the sin. But the gospel of Christ is to take away the love of sin and turn us into lovers of righteousness. That's the power of the gospel. It makes lovers out of sinners. That's what it does. It turns haters into lovers. That's what it does. That's why Satan spends a diligent effort of leading people not to study it and walking around and say, I believe in Jesus. Where's your evidence for your belief in Jesus? What's the reason for your belief in Jesus? Because my Bible says I need a reason in order to believe in him. My religion of Jesus needs to be an intelligent religion. It cannot be a superficial, ignorant understanding because Christ says, repent ye and believe the gospel. This is what Jesus says. So let's look at Job. Job says this in 28, 28. To depart from evil is understanding. When we understand the gospel, God gives us the power to depart from the desire to sin against him. That's the power of the gospel. It doesn't just stop us from sinning. It literally takes away the desire to sin. That's what it does. That's why Satan doesn't want people studying the true gospel. There's a false version of the gospel, the one that, that lifts man up. It doesn't lead him to take away the desire for sin. It leads him to continue in his sin, believing that Jesus came to save him in his sin and not from his sin. It's a cloak for sin. It's a papal gospel. It's a Catholic version of the gospel. Here's what Isaiah said. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. No knowledge, captivity. So wait a minute. If no knowledge puts me in captivity, then what does common sense tell me? Knowledge, knowledge takes me out. So if, if no knowledge puts me in, it's knowledge that takes me out. So Satan is a, I'm not giving him credit. I'm just, this is who he is. He's a skillful enemy. He's a skillful general. The Bible lets us know. He's a, he said we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. He's skillful. He's subtle. He takes the Bible and tells people preach Christ, but leave out the knowledge of the gospel. And people accept that minister who was never sent by God because he's not teaching people the way to heaven. He's not taking people's mind from earth to heaven. His gospel is taking people's mind from heaven back to earth. It's doing the opposite. Adam and Eve's mind was taken from heaven to earth. 
So Satan always takes people's mind from understanding things spiritually back to understanding it earthly and naturally. That's how he works. God takes people from understanding things naturally and leading them to the spiritual. And that's how he does it until Jesus comes. He's never going to stop that. It's going to stay like that till Jesus comes. But Satan always does the opposite. He always flips it. He always flips it. Let's go on. So, go ahead. Yes, amen. Make an individual antichrist. And that's why John can say what? There are many antichrists. Amen. This is how they're made. We are slaves or captive to do evil or sin because we have no knowledge. No knowledge equals no power. To have the right knowledge is to have power. Then said Jesus to those Jews, love this part, which believed on him. If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the what? Truth shall make you free, if you continue. It didn't notice, he didn't say they were free. Their process of freedom began. He didn't say they were free. He said it began. Amen. In Eden, so if you're understanding what we're teaching here in this ministry, if you're watching this live, or you happen to watch this later on by the video, if you're understanding the words that's, but that's coming on, you're hearing God's voice being spoken to you. If you continue in this understanding, why would you stop eating? Why would you stop eating? Christ says continue and you shall be free. Free. Free from what? The desire to ever sin again. I'm going to take it away. But it starts with a small process. The process that it might start with. Guess what it's going to start with first? Appetite. Food. Stop eating meat. Stop eating fish. Fish is meat. That's where it starts. It's, it's, man fell through appetite, so recovering man starts with appetite. Get your appetite under control. I'm going to give you the, I'm going to take away the sin. What does that mean? I'm going to take away your desire to want to eat the thing I say not to eat. I'm going to start there. And if you continue in this process... I'll take it fully away from you where the temptation for meat will never be a problem for you ever again. Ever again. But you have to study the right gospel. There's many gospels, but there's only one true gospel. Only one that really takes away the desire to sin. Doesn't stop people from sinning. It takes away the desire to even not do the sin in the first place. That's what understanding the real gospel will do for those who study it. Knowing the truth makes you free. If we want or desire freedom from sin, which is, which is desiring to break God's law, then repent and believe the gospel and continue in that word. How much time do I have left, Rashad? Oh, you got 47 minutes. 40, I'm at 47? Yeah. Um, I'm going to stop here. I'm going to stop. I'm not going to go over that. Um, by the grace of God, this, if those who have the notes, I want to encourage us. I don't think I would have to touch this because I, I, I believe I, I touched on it a few times. I'm just going to highlight it. I, I encourage you, please. Those of you who are watching this, I really encourage you. Please, the, the notes 
that are here, read those portions of Scripture. I'm, I'm encouraging you, please read those portions. What it's dealing with, it says that God declares the end from the beginning. The former, he, he uses the former to teach the, 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 the latter. He uses the natural to teach the spiritual, the earthly to teach the heavenly. I encourage you, please read those portions, because this is what we've been building upon. The natural teaches the spiritual. The natural, te natural Babylon teaches spiritual Babylon. Natural Moses is spiritual Christ. Um, another one. Natural lion shows the spiritual, spiritual. Yes, natural lamb shows the spiritual lamb. Amen. We can go on. The first Adam, the second Adam. There's so many illustrations um, that we can use. Um, and, and I'm looking for one that everyone can, every one of us that, that knows our Bible can see very easily. But I, it's, it's not coming to my mind. Yes, amen. The natural bread and, and, the, and the spiritual bread. And so the Bible's... Say it. Yeah, Christ, soon I heard. First, you was going to say something? First Adam and second Adam. All of this is very, and I encourage you, please read this portion in the notes dealing with um, the former and the latter. Christ teaches us the Old Testament is the former things. Everything in the Old Testament is the former things, it's the old things. The New Testament is the latter things. This is the things that the Bible is always pointed to, to the revelation of what's in the Old Testament. That's it. So the Old Testament is, is the old, and God says, remember the Old Testament. For I am God and there's none like me declaring the New Testament. That's what he was saying. Remember this. If, you, if the Jews remembered the former things, they should have had no problem with recognizing Christ when he came. But because they didn't remember, Christ says, had you believed in Moses, Moses wrote of me. Had you believed in him, you would hear my words. But because you have no faith in the evidence that Moses recorded for you, you're not going to believe the fulfillment of those evidence in which he recorded that I'm doing right before your eyes. So I want to encourage us to read those portions of scriptures in, in the notes. And there's, some, there's some, um, some comments in the notes, and I pray that it will be of understanding to you as you read. And once again, I just want to encourage those watching and those listening and, and those um, listening. If you've been blessed thus far by the things that has gone out, we encourage you, please, like, subscribe, share the videos, um, share it with family, share it with friends, share it with your church, but share it with strangers, share it with random people, share it with anyone. And also, please, we ask that you support the Lord's cause by, by, um, by a faithful tithes and offering because this work is large. And, and if, you're, if you were truly blessed this evening and, and your heart was really moved and it really burned within you, why would you not support something like that? Why would you not pray for something like that? Or pray that the Lord will advance this. Why would we not want to do that? The Lord wants us to do that, to, to lift up Christ. And by the grace of God, this is what we're trying to do. New York is an evil place. And if there's a place that needs Jesus more than any other place, it's the city of New York. This place is terrible. And we're here by the grace of God to bring the, the water of life to this terrible place. This is what, what, we're, what we would like to do. But it's an expensive place. And it needs the support of those who believes the gospel. Now, if you live in a country where your money won't be of much help to us here, take that money and how about invite us to your place? How about you use those means and invite us to those places by the grace of God? And we would like to come and share this thing with you in the city in which you, in which you live. Or take those means and promote the gospel in that place, that region in where you live. Put, put that money to good use to building up and, and advancing the Lord's cause by the grace of God. And please, we also encourage us, you know, um, the Lord also 
likes when, when, when Jesus healed the ten lepers, only one returned to tell Christ, thank you for, the, for your ministry because your ministry has blessed me. So if this ministry is blessing you, we encourage you to send us reports, send us the testimonies of how this understanding has really set you free from something. How this understanding that the Lord used this ministry to reveal to you has really blessed your heart. Why not send a report like the faithful one that came back? That's also natural. We're not only to give glory to God and say, God, thank you for sending Christ and thank you for sending this ministry. But we're also to go to the ministry itself and say, thank you for answering God's call and being a blessing to me and being a blessing and sharing the truth for me and share your testimony. Share your testimony of how this is really blessing you because we would like to take that testimony and share it with others because they overcame him by the what? Word of their testimony. So we want other people to overcome like you overcome by the testimony. We will make your testimony public and say, look, if you don't want us to give your name, we won't give your name, but we will give the experience in which you receive from hearing this truth because we believe a power always attends the true gospel. It always does. The, the true gospel is never powerless. It never is. So I pray that by the grace of God, we have tasted that power this evening. And by the grace of God, may we come back next week. We're coming back next week, Monday, Monday at 630. So we want to invite you back and don't come alone. Bring an offering. Bring a friend. That's your offering. The Lord loves when we bring a free will offering. Bring a friend. Bring a brother, bring a sister, bring a mother, bring a cousin. And if you can't bring anyone, just bring your poor heart. The Lord wants you to be there anyway. So please bring an offering with you the next time you come back. Do not come back empty-handed. This is what the gospel teaches. We're never to come empty-handed to the, me the meetings because the Bible says we're to make ourselves a living sacrifice. So every time we go to a meeting, we're to bring a sacrifice. We're to bring a brother, a sister, a friend, a mother, a aunt, or uncle, a cousin. Bring somebody. If you have to bring somebody off the street, bring them off the street and tell them to tune in tonight because this has blessed my heart and I want it to bless your heart also by the grace of God. So I want to encourage us, um, if, if this has been a blessing to you, please, um, next week, join us, 6.30, 6.30. Next week, Monday, yes. Next week, Monday at 6.30, please join us um, via live stream once again and bring an offering. And, and let's help advance the Lord's cause. Shall we close out with a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we really want to thank you, Lord, for being with us this evening. And as we, are, we approach the Sabbath, or even some of us are upon the Sabbath hours, Lord, we thank you for the Sabbath as a sign of freedom, O oh Lord. We've toiled and labored for six days, O oh Lord, and the Sabbath is something you've given to man to set him free from toil and labor, from the earthly powers. The Sabbath is six days in earth, the, uh, the, the week is six days on earth and the Sabbath is a day in heaven, O Lord. And even in that, you're teaching the book of Daniel. That man is in earth, but when he comes to the Sabbath, his mind is to be in heavenly places. And Lord, we pray and ask that you help us to understand these things. And we pray that the gospel will continue to set us free as we continue to eat. In Eden, we shall eat. In walking in this light, we shall be free and we shall live. Please continue to take away the desire to sin. Not only are we to put away sin, Lord, but we want you to take away the desire to even have the thought of sinning. So please help us in these things. Please forgive us of our sins. Please create in us a clean heart. Please renew a right spirit within us. And please, Lord, help us to understand the true gospel, the, the only gospel. There's only one gospel, Lord. Every other thing is just a perversion of that one gospel. Please continue to help us to understand it. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you move upon our brothers and sisters to read these things 
to read those, those few verses, O oh Lord, so that when we return, O oh Lord, we can continue and pick up right where we left off. And we just want to say thank you. And if there's anything we're failing to ask of you, Lord, that you know we have need of, may not fail to grant these things onto us at this time. Please help us have a blessed Sabbath, and may we be refreshed as you were refreshed. And all the blessings that, that we can receive, O oh Lord, whether it be health, whether it be um, physical, spiritual, financial, mental, social, whether it be family, please, Lord, may you bless us with these things upon this Sabbath day, for we're told that it's on, upon this day you seek to answer our prayers by giving, that when we seek your choicest blessings. So please, Lord, may you bless us accordingly upon this day we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.